Hello, and welcome to Sharp, the podcast where we help you get a little better at the stuff you have to do, so you can spend more time doing the stuff you want to do. My name's Steve O'Neill, and in each Sharp episode, I'll be sharing a bite-sized slice from anywhere that I can find great ideas, tips and suggestions which help us do things faster, better or with a different approach. I'll do the research on social media, podcasts and the written word to bring you quick, practical and effective help in working with people, getting more out of yourself or just getting more from life. We'll have a short, sharp episode weekly and then once a month We'll gather up that bag of tips and mix it in with some conversation in a longer episode. However you choose to listen, I'm here to share things that work in the real world in a way to suit you. So now, on with the episode. Hello, this is Steve in the field, or from the field, not in a field, and um, I have made that joke before. So welcome to episode four. Um, As I've mentioned before, each month we're going to take a slightly different format from the weekly episodes by stitching together some of the takeaways from the previous three weeks, the bits that we think give you useful, practical information. And at the end, we're going to have a conversation with someone about how they get better. In this first section from episode one, we have a look at the benefit of podcasts. Now, this is a podcast, so I was a bit worried that if we talk about podcasts in a podcast, it might open up some sort of wormhole which we're all going to disappear into. So if it does, well, hang on a second, I've just realised now that we are talking about talking about podcasts in a podcast. Right, I'm going to stop now and let you listen to the section. See you on the other side of the wormhole. Wow, that was an interesting noise, wasn't it? Now, the thing is, I said that. When I'm recording this, I haven't I don't know what noise I'm going to use yet. I've put the noise in afterwards. I'm sure it's fab. So obviously it's a bit mad on a podcast talking about podcasts. If you've if this is the first podcast you've ever listened to, then this section might be helpful to you because it will tell you about podcasts. If you don't listen to very many podcasts, but you know what they are, this section might be helpful to you because it'll tell you about podcasts. If you know lots about podcasts, this section will be no help to you whatsoever. Um, but there might be something in it. So if you'd have asked me five years ago what a podcast was, um, I'd have said to you, I don't know what a podcast is. And even now, regular podcast listeners are still in the minority. There's a thing called RADJAR, the Radio Joint Audience Research in the UK. And in 2015, they said that um, only 6.5% of the adult population listen to podcasts. And it's not surprising, really, because the media has only been around since 2004. Some bloke called Adam Curry launched his show called The Daily Source Code, which is believed to be the first... See, I'm reading that. You can tell I'm reading it, can't you, by the way? I'm saying I am reading it. I got it from Wikipedia. It sounded like an interesting fact to have in the podcast section. Here are some more interesting facts in the podcast section. In the early days, Apple didn't like the the word pod being used because it was their brand name from iPod. But eventually they had to let it go um, and the word podcast became nothing to do with the brand. However, in 2013, Apple were reported to have had 1 billion subscriptions across 250,000 unique podcasts. The number's probably higher today. I'm sure they're not very sad about it. To try and describe what a podcast is is a bit like um, trying to describe what is telly or what are books. 
it, it is just the media. It's like Time Shift Radio. In fact, if you've missed your favourite comedy or, or radio show from the BBC, they're nearly all downloadable as podcasts. If you like fiction or truth, because we probably all like one of those, um, or movies or drama, audiobooks, true crime, plays. Um, have you heard of a programme called Serial? If you have, that won't be surprising because it broke records when it became the most listened to podcast in history with 68 million downloads. There's loads of stuff. There's brain stuff, tech stuff, chat. You can learn a language. You can learn how to improve your fly fishing. You can become a better cook. You can combine all three and open a fish restaurant in France. Um, there's podcasts on knitting, meditation. You can. There's some really good ones to learn more about this world and the people that are in it from um, the likes of TED, Radiolab or Freakonomics. There's some really good podcasts out there just to you know help you lead a better life. There's one called The One You Feed, which I really like. And there's loads of stuff to laugh at. Adam Buxton's one of my favourites. Um, if you haven't got much spare time, there's Merriam-Webster. They have a word of the day. It's two minutes long and you get a word of the day in your inbox each day. On the other hand, if you've got loads of spare time, uh, Dan Carlin does these hardcore histories. They're six-hour epics and they cover everything from the Cuban Missile Crisis to detailed deconstructions of events in history. They're really good. If you can listen to them, it's worth a try. Podcasts aren't just spare time stuff either. Depending on what you do for a living, there's almost guaranteed to be a podcast to support you. If you're a photographer, there's um, stuff from Adobe and Photoshop. If you're in sales, you can listen to Accelerate by a guy called Andy Paul. Whether you're into economics or law or retail, veterinary practice, even producing voiceovers. There's podcasts for architects, people in property, writers, managers, marketing, IT. There's a podcast for everyone. In the area of self-development, there's some really good stuff from Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins, David Allen and Michael Hyatt. Very different styles, um, but worth listening to. The reason I'm sharing all this is that no matter what you do, there'll be a podcast to keep you informed, up to date and sharp. And the great news is they're nearly all free. There's a number of ways to get podcasts. You can go onto iTunes and download them direct to your PC or your iPhone. Uh, you can go onto the website of the person that makes the podcast and download that to your phone or your, or your computer. One of the best ways to get them now is to use a podcatcher app. So this is something that you install on your phone. And what it does is it then lets you manage your podcast feed by having uh, your favourite episodes automatically beamed into your phone. Um, these podcatcher apps are called things like Stitcher. Podbean, Overcast. People have spent some real time coming up with these names, haven't they? Um, TuneIn's a good one. Uh, I like that because it sounds like the sort of radio station I'd listen to in the 70s. I use one called Beyond Pod. Um, I use it because it is free and good. The great thing about podcasts is that you can listen to them while doing other things. Next up. From episode two, we talked about Facebook and how to avoid spending all your time on there while still using it as a useful resource to help you sharpen your saw. So here's a bit from that episode. If you like it and you want to hear the whole thing, you can zip over afterwards and have a listen. It's called Escape the Tractor Beam. So here's some stuff about Facebook. The stats for Facebook are mind-boggling. The Guardian reports that Facebook themselves claim to have 1.71 billion monthly users. And that's active users. In a world population that's currently 7 billion, that's a fairly significant market share. There are surveys carried out in the UK and the US that show 
that 78% of adults who regularly connect online are on Facebook. Now, there's loads of great content from some really skilled, experienced people and businesses that can help you, motivate you, and give you some really good, credible tips and help. But the problem with the potential of it just taking up your time is equally huge. For example, there are an estimated 81 million fake profiles on Facebook, and there are six new profiles every second, so it's getting larger. So, my first tip, ditch the news feed. Most people use Facebook by browsing the feed. And that's great for seeing what your friends are doing and so on. But a lot of people may not realise that the feed only shows you what Facebook want you to see. You don't see everything that your friends post and they don't see everything that you post. And this is because Facebook choose what you see in your feed and that's based on algorithms and so on. Don't just take my word for it. Go and Google it and you can see it for yourself. Now, there are three main ways that you connect to stuff on Facebook. The first is profiles. So your profile is what you've already got. It's how you talk to Auntie Mildred and how she can send you pictures of her cat. The second way is pages. Pages are a great resource if you connect to the right ones. Some of the pages I use are Success Magazine, GTD, which stands for Getting Things Done. You'll be hearing lots about that in the coming episodes. High 50, Road Microphones, Tony Robbins, David Allen, Michael Hyatt. You can find good pages by searching for people like we did with Arnie. So you can search for Richard Branson or you can search for categories. So if you search for categories like self-development or good habits or productivity or podcasts or meditation and then look at what Facebook shows you in the pages section, you can find some really good stuff in there. So experiment a bit with it, mix it up, connect to things, disconnect to things and find some stuff that works for you. So that's profiles, pages. Now we're going to have a look at groups. Groups are something different. Anyone can start a group and it can be about any subject. There are groups based on interests like writing or blogging or marketing or photography. And then there are groups for more work-based subjects like how to use WordPress or teaching or networking or using Evernote or working from home. Groups can be really helpful. And unlike pages, they're two-way. You interact with people, you can get other people's input on things that you're struggling with or you want to learn more about or you can give them advice. Many groups are by invitation only as well, and and a number are private, so what you post in them won't mix in your feed. So again, use the Facebook search, search for some of the subjects that we've mentioned earlier, like self-development and so on, and then go and have a look at the results in the group section instead of pages, and find some groups you like and connect to them. Hi there, it's Steve here. I am still out here in the field. Um, Episode three was called Reasons to be Cheerful. If you're old enough to get that reference, then there's a chance that we went to school about the same time. For those that don't um, or aren't old enough, then Google Ian Jury and you can find out about it. I called it that because there are some really good reasons to be cheerful when it comes to using Twitter and LinkedIn to help you get better at what you do, but you do need to know how to use them. Here's the section where we talked about Twitter. Now, I've had a love-hate relationship with Twitter, and I think it's because if you follow a lot of people, the stream of information is constant, fast, and it can be impossible to keep up with. Twitter is a great source of short, sharp, fast snips of information, which sometimes is a good thing and sometimes a bad. But it can be a bit like putting your mouth around a fire hose to get a drink of water. Apparently, one day's tweets 
would fill a 10 million page book. Like Facebook, Twitter is great if you want to get better at what you do, primarily if you're finding links that have been posted by a carefully curated group of people that you find helpful and useful. To get this deluge of information manageable, the most useful function in Twitter is the list. So, what is a list? And how many times in this podcast can we use the word list? A list is a way of separating out different kinds of tweets into categories. Think of it as individual buckets where you can sort out information in much more digestible amounts. One way of setting up lists can be simply based on the subject of what people tweet on. I've got lists on my voiceover account for voiceover people, so I can get the latest information that relates to that world. You could have marketing lists for the same reasons or photography. To set up lists on subject, it's really straightforward. Just go into search, type in the word avocado, other lists are available, then see all the people that tweet about avocados, see the stuff that you like, and then add those people to your avocado list. You also don't need to follow people to put them into your lists. If you're a more advanced user, then it's worth considering contexts. Now, what I mean by context is the location, what things mean to you in life what they've got in common. They could be groups of people that you want to stay connected with because they represent a particular network or a local group. Maybe you might set one up for a chamber of commerce. They could be people that relate to family things. Um, So they might include a mixture of stuff like days out or clothing or mum's groups, but you put them all under the heading of family. They could be businesses that you want to work with, so you keep engaged with them. You might have another list of people that you've newly connected with, So you want to ensure that you engage well and you don't miss what they post. And don't just think about the subject. Think about sections in your life which are important to you and create a bucket or a list that contains people that relate to that part of your life. The second reason why lists are important is because it's how you digest the volume of information that's coming through. Remember in our previous episode, we talked about our brain's inability to actually multitask. And that's exactly what's happening if you're reading a stream of tweets that are all random and completely disconnected to each other. Your brain is having to keep switching to account for the different contexts of why they're important. Let me give an example. This is what's in my Twitter stream right now. I've got a tweet from a person in a local network who's linking to a presentation on how to listen properly. Then I've got someone launching a travel business who's thanking someone else for following them. Here's a picture of some palm trees. I've got a jewellery company selling a new style of watch. This one is about wine. And then there's a local community tweeting about an event at the dockyard. Now, every one of those tweets may have some merit and a reason why I'd want to engage. But I'd prefer to network with people when I'm in networking mode. I'd prefer to shop when it's time to shop and I'm thinking about birthdays or anniversaries. I'd rather book a day out when I'm in planning mode and thinking about my week or month ahead. And so on. If you use lists, you can engage on different days of the week for different subjects. Or you could look at some daily and others you might look at them once a month. The aim here, as always, is to reduce the time that you spend. I'm giggling because I've recorded that bit four times. Um, Arguably, I've still never got it right. Um, (laughs) To reduce the time that you spend and improve the efficiency of how you connect by putting barriers or fences around the different elements of your life. And that's a theme that we'll talk about lots in these episodes. Simply, just because two things are on Twitter doesn't mean they're connected. And when you realise that, by separating them, 
and putting them where they belong in your life, then that's one step towards getting better at what you do. It's really the social media equivalent of working smarter instead of harder. I've just got a couple of final thoughts on lists. You can go onto other people's lists and you can subscribe to them. That's a good way of seeing things from people that you'd not normally connect to. You can make your list private so other people can't see yours. And if you put someone in your list, they get a tweet telling them that this person's just put you in a list called Great Contacts or Cool People, which really improves the sharing and it'll make you feel good when people do it with your account. Okay, to end this Twitter section, um, if you're brand new to Twitter, here are five things that I've learned to help you get started. Number one, do not buy followers. It's a complete waste of money. There is no benefit and you'll lose credibility when you're following 195 people but being followed by 95.7 million unless you actually are Katy Perry, that can look a bit odd. Number two, engage with people. More interaction means more genuine connections. Again, think quality and not quantity. Number three of my five tips is to remember that most accounts are people. And online or offline, people like to be treated with respect and acknowledged. Number four, share other people's tweets. They'll thank you for it. And number five, use hashtags. It might seem cheesy, but it does work and it enables other people to see your tweets and increases the chances of engaging with people, you being shared and connecting with people that you'd ordinarily not come across. Okay, so in this final compilation section, we cover LinkedIn. Now you do need to be cheerful when you're on LinkedIn because lots of people on there aren't. So maybe you could go on there and get some people to smile. If you're on LinkedIn, you'll know how it works. And you'll also know there are lots of people on there who make it their mission to police what people put on there. They do this by saying things like, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is, is not, not Facebook. Facebook. It's, it's not, not a dating, dating site. site. It's, it's not, not Tinder. Tinder. So if that's what it's not, what is it? Well, it's meant to be a networking site. And actually, it can be really good if you use it well. Unlike Facebook and Twitter, you've got to put a bit of effort in to get something out of LinkedIn. With Facebook and Twitter, you can set up a profile fairly quickly and start mining for information. With LinkedIn, in order to get some credibility, you need to connect. And to connect, you need to be connectable. You are not your job. You are a person. And your job is what you do. There are two things that LinkedIn are useful for. It's useful for networking and it's useful for getting industry information. Some people say, and LinkedIn themselves also say, that you should only connect to people that know you. I say connect to people who you want to know. The worst thing that can happen is that they say no. And while we're talking about connecting, I strongly advise against accepting connection requests from anyone and everyone. Remember, with all these things, it's about quality and not quantity. Make sure you thank people. When you connect to people, if you ask for a connection and they accept, treat it as important as if you'd met them in the street or at a meeting and send an individual message, a thank you, or just ask people how their week's going and so on. Joining groups on LinkedIn uh, can be really useful. They tend to be more structured than Facebook. So if you go into the LinkedIn search, put in a subject like cinematography or wine or whatever you want to know more about, and then go on to the group section and start connecting. The search can be a subject that relates to your local area or the industry you're in or the industry that you want to be in. To grow your network in LinkedIn, reshare posts and articles that come into your feed. 
that will really get you noticed. And actually, a great thing to do is to write articles yourself. This really has impact, especially as you're likely to have expertise in your specialist area. You know things that other people don't, so share that knowledge and get people interested in you. Like Facebook, your LinkedIn feed can be populated with the stuff from the people that you connect to. So be careful what you wish for. And that's just another good reason not to accept connection requests from anyone and everyone. There's a learning section on there which you need to pay for. It's worth reviewing if you're serious about using LinkedIn for development. But there's another section which is free, which is the slide share section. And that's also really interesting. Now, it doesn't look like it's regulated, so you need to consider um, a bit of a sceptical approach when you're viewing these slideshows, but it's worth a look. Primarily, LinkedIn is about keeping in touch so you can see what thought leaders are saying and to get connected to people to give you an insight to the world you're, you're in or the world that you want to be in. And if you want to do that, then LinkedIn's worth investing some time in. If you want to know more, I found an article from Forbes.com which has some useful advice about how to get the most out of it. So I'll post a link in the show notes, um, but I'm not going to bore you with that detail here. I reckon if you're going to use LinkedIn, spend 30 minutes a week maximum, maybe even 30 minutes a month, and it's probably worth doing. But again, avoid the tractor beam of just getting sucked into what comes through in your feed. Or, quite frankly, if you don't like the idea of LinkedIn, don't go onto it. After all, 70% of the United Kingdom population feel the same way. So if you enjoyed those samples, feel free to go back and listen to episodes 1, 2 and 3 in full. I'd love you to do that and I'd love you to subscribe at iTunes as well if you like them. Something else I love doing is talking to people. In this bit, I talked to someone called Lisa about what she does and how she gets better at it. And we recorded it so you could hear it. We are recording now. Oh, excellent. <laughs> You've got to do your warm up. <laughs> Go on, you do it. No. <laughs> Shall we start? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Lisa, first of all, thank you very, very much for being my first guinea pig in, uh, in our first recorded conversation on the podcast. This isn't an interview, so you've already got the job. Excellent. You're very welcome. <laughs> I thought it might be helpful to start off by telling the listeners who you are and a little bit about your background. So who are you? So I'm Lisa. Hi. Hi. Um, I live on the South Coast. I was born on the South Coast. I'm a mum. I have a 12-year-old son called Charlie. I work full-time. I work in the heritage sector as a development manager for their retail offering. And I also have my own business called Frenzy House. So that, that sounds, the heritage sector, what sector? What's that? It's museums. Oh. Old stuff. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. It's something that I got into about a year, 18 months ago. Before that, my background was pure high street retail. So held lots of positions, senior positions in retail. And actually, I, I don't think I've ever done anything else in my career other than retail. So what was, life, what was life like before you did this job then? You said you had some senior positions in retail. What, what was that like? Um, hectic, like a military operation. So lots of travel. My office was in Tame so I used to commute from Portsmouth to Tame every day so that was wow. 
um, anywhere between an hour and a half and two and a half hours each way. I'd just like to point out that I just said, wow, like I don't know that you did that journey. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I keep I keep half flipping from, hi, and I'm interviewing you. Um, so we'll just have to find yeah, a way to make you, that work. You, anyway, you were a part of that. Sorry, yes. Um, Where's Tame? <laughs> <laughs> so lots and lots of travel. The business that I was running was nationwide. So I was sometimes in Manchester, sometimes in Lincolnshire, where, wherever I needed to be, um, and quite a bit of foreign travel as well. So going to France, going to Germany, going going wherever I was needed, really. I was pretty much on call 24-7, so if there was a problem in the business or an issue, my phone was always on, my emails were always pinging, um, a huge amount of pressure, you know, the buck stopped with me, so it, it was really difficult. I mean, it sounds obvious why you changed that, but for the benefit of the listeners, what, what prompted you to decide that you wanted to do something different? It was um, quite simply a statement that my son said to me, and I think he was eight at the time. He asked me one morning why I couldn't be like the other mummies and take him to school and be there for his school plays and pick him up at the end of the day. And it really hit home that I was missing a huge chunk of his childhood and it was something I was never going to be able to get back. Yeah. So I took time out, left my job, did quite a bit of soul searching and reflecting, didn't really know what I wanted to do. All I knew is that whatever I was going to do, it had to work around Charlie so that I could take him to school and be there to pick him up if he needed me to. Yeah. So you changed that. Um, you're now working in in a museum. In a museum? Not quite in a museum, but I work for a group of museums. So... I've still got an, a national job and I still have quite a fair amount of travel, but I don't have the same pressure and needs that I had back in my other job. Oh, so life's a breeze for you now then? <laughs> I wouldn't really call it a breeze. I think, obviously, my son's older, so he has different needs and requirements and there's less reliance on me. But we still have a very, very busy hectic schedule that requires a lot of juggling um, and a lot of planning it does yeah it does and you know you you're in a job that means that you're often out of the house at five half five in the morning mm -hmm. you're not home till eight nine o'clock at night um i'm just in the pub really yeah right i wish you were and then i'd come and join you um and you know kids still need to go to the dentist they still need stuff organizing for their normal week I'm still running my online shop I'm I'm still the manager of a team so there are still pressures they're just um I guess easier to manage um, and I think some of that is about that I've become more effective at, at finding ways to make that work for me so that's um that that planning and and juggling piece then how because it sounds like whilst the job itself is is not as pressured as it was previously it sounds like you've still got quite a lot to think about in terms of, of planning that and how that balances with family life and so on. So how do you do that? Um, you decide what's important. So I'm in a much better place now where I can understand and feel confident that 
just because I can't do everything doesn't mean that I I'm less effective as a, a mum, a partner, a boss, what have you. So it is about understanding what my priorities are and planning to achieve those priorities, but not necessarily being able to achieve everything. So that sounds um, that sounds challenging. How do you what do you practically do? How do you how do you do you balance those things up? Um, use a calendar and everything has to be written on our family calendar, as you well know. Um, I do. <laughs> yeah. We have to make sure that there aren't any conflict conflicts within that so that everyone's getting what they need. And that only comes from being able to visually see it. That's how, how I can figure that out. I have to plan in some time on my by myself. It's really important that I get some me time because I'm being pulled in lots of different directions. So that's really important as far as kind of the day-to-day family stuff one of the things that I've learned and saves me a huge amount of time is is planning meals and shopping um I spend less money I waste less food um I'm saving probably an hour hour and a half a week popping to the shops on my way home from work I don't have to go through a thought process of what are we going to have for dinner um, I know the stuff's there. I know what we're having, and and it's just a case of getting on and making that happen. So, just in case anybody missed that, you you actually have a plan for the meals, as opposed to just deciding on the day what it is that uh, we're going to have, what what we need to get from the supermarket. How do you how do you plan for meals? It sounds like I'm really weird, doesn't it? But um, some of it's about making sure. I know that... you're not. <laughs> well, I am a little bit. Some of it's about making sure that we're eating healthily um, and I've never bought ready meals, even when time is is pressured and so on. I'm very focused on making sure that all of us have a nutritional meal on the table when we get home. But it is just as simple as as planning out a week in advance what we're going to cook on what day and just shopping to that planner. So I, I don't have lots of stuff in the freezer. I don't have loads of stuff in my fridge. I just have what we need. Now, obviously, this podcast is about getting better at what you do. And by the sounds of it already, you're clearly having to juggle home and work life. Just looking at your work life at the moment, how do you how do you get better at what you do as far as work is concerned? Well, as I said earlier, it, it is a new sector for me. So it's been quite a steep learning curve. It's, it's very different from the work and job that I used to do I obviously use the expertise that I have in the business not afraid to ask for that help when you, um, sorry to interrupt you but when you say you obviously use it I don't think that's always obvious to everyone because when you're a manager and you're managing people sometimes the temptation is is just to decide for yourself that you think something's right isn't it yeah it is I'm I, I guess I'm I'm lucky working in the size of business I do that we have experts in their field so if I need to know something about an object an artifact I know where to go if I need help with marketing there's an expert there who can offer me advice and and it's really important to pull on all of those resources I think you know it sounds so obvious but I do use online to research yeah so if there's something I'm stuck with I will look at information I, I can grab online I think it's really important that when you make decisions, you're able to make a considered one. So if you can get the information in front of you so that you can weigh things up 
and look at the various bits of information to to enable you to make a strong and structured decision. It's often a good, robust one. Some of the stuff that we're going to talk about in this podcast going forward is if you've got all the personal stuff nailed down, it actually makes you better at your job and vice versa, which sounds counterintuitive. But you've got to think of yourself as um, as as different people because you're a parent, you're a boss and you're a partner. Um, so you've got to pay attention to each of those things. Just focusing on the work piece then, what are the, what are the sorts of things you do in work to to make sure that you get better at what you do? What's important to you? I've spoken about finding information online. And and I think the other thing that's really important that I know I've learned too late in life, it's about defining my objectives alongside my priority. So understanding what it is I'm trying to achieve, what I want to achieve. Yeah. And And that goes back to what you were just saying about you know, I have different objectives as a parent as I may do as a boss or a partner. And, and so it's defining all of those roles and defining those objectives to make sure that at some point they tie in so that it, it makes me better with each of those hats on to, to get where I need to go. You said um, when we were talking about the personal side, you were talking about planning things that would appear to be really mundane and straightforward like meals. Do you have other routines in work where you do certain things at certain times and, you, and you've just got a routine for that kind of stuff? Yes, I do. Even the routines that, that come as second nature, they're still on my task list, they're still in my calendar. And that might be really boring administrative things like filling out my expenses or sending out some sales results, as well as defined and specific projects. So I, I work better by doing that. And some of that stuff I've learned from you, you do it at maybe a different level to how I do it. But I've just taken the bits that work for me and used them to make sure that I'm not missing stuff. And what sorts of things do you, would you say that you have as a ritual or a routine that um, you've learned that by, by having that every Wednesday at three o'clock or, um, or a certain time in the week or whatever has meant that you, you get things done that you might have missed or um, makes other things easier? Um, reviewing my inbox, my task list and my diary on a weekly basis and it takes me half an hour and half an hour may seem like it's not effective use of my time but it does mean that I'm capturing everything, getting it out of my head and into a process that allows me to make sure those things are always done. So we've um, we've talked about the parent side of your life and then we've talked about the work side from an employment perspective. But you, 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 you've said something there, there's a business side. Relate, you've got this website called Frenzy House and you make sound waves and so on. So you've got that business side. How did you learn about that? How did you get into that? So um, we're recording or taking recordings of people's voices or a favourite song or a sound or what have you, making sound waves um, and creating personalised artwork. And it's something I was doing between employment um, and I just really love the creativity of it. Um, mm. And I, it's something I enjoy doing. So I'd, I'd never made a website before. And with the help of a platform called Shopify, we were able to do that. Um, we went out and did market stalls. We talked directly to our customers, our, our potential audience, and pulled on my retail experience really to 
the name out there and what we were doing. And then when I got my job, it has taken a little bit of a backseat. Although, you know, from that networking and work that we initially did when we started it up, we are still able to keep that ticking along. And certain times of the year are really busy with Frenzy House. So Christmas, Valentine's, Mother's Day, um, it, it's really busy. So how much um, how much time a week would you say that the, the Soundwave and the Frenzy House piece take up in your week? If it's a quiet week hour and a half couple of hours if it's a busy week it can be a couple of hours every night making those sound waves so if you had um, and you've got no control over how many orders that you get at any given time so you might have you know two on a tuesday and one on a wednesday so by thursday yeah you've then effectively got three hours worth of that's right of stuff yeah. to do yeah or you could go a whole week and have nothing that's right so i guess i guess thinking about how that then affects your evening your time um, and the other things that you're prioritising, I guess at least you've got your calendar there so you know what you've got as a priority, so you know um, if we've got uh, people coming round or we've got something we're committed to or whatever, um, and then you can balance that, mm-hmm. that, that need with that. So if I could wave a magic wand and tomorrow you could be 10% better at something, what would it be? Definitely giving more time and focus to Frenzy House. I know that there's so much more potential in that business and it's the last thing on my list of priorities. Yeah. It, it never comes up to the top. It ticks along quite nicely as it is. Um, it's never going to make me a rich lady, but as I said, I do really enjoy the creativity of it. I will often just let that slip off the agenda Yeah, um, and have half an hour on the sofa watching something dinny on the telly because that's my wind down time but you see that that wind down time is really important we've all got to have downtime so i suppose it's working out where um where you can achieve both how much would you say how much would you say a night in terms of time would you need in order to feel comfortable that you're giving the frenzy house the attention that it needs i don't know it's it's probably only half an hour 20 minutes maybe so when when you say it like that, it kind of makes me realise I probably just need a kick up the backside rather than anything else. <laughs> I suppose, I don't know, I don't, I don't think it's a kick up the backside. I think it's just something that gets you to a point at which that thing can happen that you know is relatively straightforward because there's not a lot of friction there to spend 20 minutes a night doing that. I mean, in one of the earlier episodes, we've talked about how, you know, people in the UK spend an average of an hour and 20 minutes on social media. So arguably, any of us that's average... There's probably 30 minutes at least there in a day um, where we can say there's time we can get back. Yeah, but Steve, my laptop's not where I can watch the telly. <laughs> well, maybe, you know, maybe. And I guess what I'm trying to get to, because I think I'd imagine this is something that a lot of people struggle with. The thing we want to do isn't a difficult thing to do. We know it's not difficult, but there's a kind of, um, there's a friction. There's something that that's stopping us from doing it. And it isn't because we're lazy, because you're not lazy, because I know that you work hard. Um, you put a lot of effort in and you're clearly really structured and planned in some areas. Um, and then in other areas, because because there's something that's stopping us from doing it. And actually, your comment about the laptop is, is a good example. It could be as simple as just physically having the laptop near where you are. In the back of my mind, there's something, and I'm going to go away and look at this, and maybe it's something we'll cover in the next few episodes, because in the back of my mind, there's some stuff that I worked on recently around habits. 
Um, and habits are really interesting because we do the things that we do often from habit. Our subconscious mind is often working much faster than our conscious mind. And if we can somehow train a little bit of that to do something we want it to do by having a routine and a structure in place, sometimes we can get into a habit fairly easily without having to make the big sacrifice. We talk, for example, you know, people talk about giving up smoking or giving up drinking and they say it's a habit and it requires willpower. But, you know, from personal experience, I know that's not the case. It doesn't require willpower. It requires just a change in your mindset. It requires you to think a little bit differently about those things. And actually, bizarrely, some of the focus and some of the success that I've learned comes from not thinking about those things are difficult to do, but working out how easy they are to do. And you, you made a comment there about having a laptop near. It could be as simple as that. But I go, there's a bell ringing in the back of my mind around where I think there's a solution there. And, um, and that might be a really good subject to cover in the, in the next few episodes. So when I, when I said to you, can we do an interview? You said that you didn't think you'd have much to say about getting better. But you talked about priorities, planning things, outsourcing, setting objectives, routines. They sound like they're kind of corporate worky terms, aren't they? But yeah, it's just stuff I do. It's stuff that I found works for me. And probably there are less worky ways of wording it. But my worky life dictates that they're the words I use. We'll have to come up with uh, we'll come up with some new names. Yeah. So bear in mind that this podcast is 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 not about doing things in a corporate way or in a uh, in a worky way, but actually making things work because we want to have better lives. We're going to come up, so I'm going to set myself the the uh, the task of coming up with non-worky terms for priorities, planning, outsourcing knowledge, objectives, and routines. <laughs> Maybe we'll get the kids to do it. Yeah. Um, and the one thing you said, the one area that you, you would like to get better at is being in a position where you spend that 15, 20 minutes a night to focus on Frenzy House. And I'll give some thought to, to covering that in the next few episodes around how do we get out of the habits of doing the things that we know we want to do slightly differently and overcoming obstacles that are not, they're not physically big obstacles or difficult obstacles, but actually making them work for us in a way that's, um, that's useful. So there we are. That's the end of our conversation. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> so what are you going to do this week that you, you think you can look back on and be pleased that you did? Oh, um, from a work perspective? No. Oh. Absolutely not from a work perspective. Okay. I think I will start to look at Frenzy House this week. So let's start to talk about how I can achieve that focus and driving Frenzy House to a better place. I think that's actually that that's come up as a, a genuine bonus in this conversation because we knew we were going to talk about some things where we've identified how how you, you make things work for you, how you get better at what you do. But actually, there's a good example. I think what I might do is, in the back end of these conversations, come up with a challenge for myself as to how I can help someone because it, it's not going to help you. If it's going to help you, it's going to help loads of people um, to get better at what you do just by uh, changing habits, changing routines. Cool. Thank you. That's brilliant. Have you finished your wine? <laughs> yes, I have. Do you, need you. To, <laughs> do you need to go and get some more? Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> So uh, I think we'll end there. Thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. There we go then. That's the end of episode four. We hope you enjoyed the longer format. And if you did, we'd really appreciate hearing from you. You could subscribe to iTunes. That'd be fantastic. Contact us on Twitter. 
we are at Sharp Podcast. Or you can go onto the website where you type in two W's and then a W, spotsharppodcast.com. I've got my work cut out now, so from that interview, I've got to go and come up with some solutions in regard to habits. We're going to cover that, plus lots of other stuff in the coming weeks. That's it. Have a great week. See you later. We want the finest coffee known to humanity, and we want it here, and we want it now.